Well, good morning. How y'all doing? So I always try to be up here when that video ends, but I had a moment of panic because if you're preaching, you can get by missing a lot of things, but you got to have your Bible. And I was like, I look at my wife and said, where's my Bible? I was like, I don't know. So found it. We're good. So, hey, so glad you're here today. Hope you had a great week and have had a great weekend if we haven't had a chance to meet. My name is Chris. I have the honor of serving as a senior pastor here at BT Church and the privilege of taking us into God's word today. That being said, why don't you grab your Bible, uh, digital or physical, and meet me in Nehemiah chapter 9. Nehemiah chapter 9 is where we will be today. Uh, at BT Church, we believe in a culture of celebration, and uh, celebration is a discipline, right? And, and so anything that's a discipline, if you don't do it, then you're not very good at it, right? So we try to celebrate all the things we can. And so let me celebrate a few things today. I want to celebrate one more time, as Pastor Joaquin has already done, our VIPs today. If it's your first time in the room or online, we're so grateful you're with us. So one more time, let's make some noise for our VIPs today. So thankful for you. We do have uh, the BT Online family, and so we want to celebrate BT Online family. Thankful for you watching wherever you are from. Let's give it up for them. Um, We have hundreds of people that are called the BT Dream Team, and that is our volunteer base. And really the Dream Team That is the group that makes the ministry happen. And so uh, I want to recognize our dream teamers here in the room and those that maybe are watching online today. Let's make some noise for the dream team. And uh, I'm just excited today. You know, I I was uh, sitting there and I I think I I could just sit there and let our worship team lead us, you know, till tomorrow. Um, And so I'm thankful for our worship ministry led by our worship pastor, Nidhi Quintanilla. So thankful. Uh, and then one more thing, if you're, if you're here in the room, you're watching online, you may not be aware of this, but if you're here in the room and you're sitting on either side towards the back, you may be like, man, it's kind of dark today. Um, so we're having some issues with some of our technology when it comes to our light, lighting control, and so we have lost the control of those lights. And what I want to do is I want to recognize how awesome our creative team is, because it's easy to notice when something goes wrong, which if we're honest, isn't very, ha- very often at our church, which means our creative team is pretty awesome under the leadership of Denise. And so let's give it up for them as well. All right. Hey, just a couple more things we want to celebrate. Um, we do believe in a culture of celebration. And of all the things we celebrate, there's nothing greater to celebrate than life change uh, in Jesus. And so we celebrate that this year, 221 people have made a profession of faith, going from death to life, saying yes to Jesus. 122 people have been obedient, taking the next step of believer's baptism. We call it the next step because baptism can never make you right with God. Baptism is is a step you take because you've been made right with God. And so we celebrate 121, 121, 22 people. We have one this service we'll wrap up with. And so let's make some noise for those that have been obedient in baptism. And... uh, You know, one of the things that that happened in 2020 when the world went crazy is we lost a lot of community and connection. And something God's put in my heart is is that we've got to foster again connection and and community. And one of the things that we want to do to help people both connect with God but also with each other is we've launched our Pathways Initiative, which is in two parts. Part one's already been launched. And and Pathways 101 is a class where we try to get people that are uh, newer to the faith uh, to come alongside and learn six core disciplines or foundations for their walk with Jesus. And so I celebrate Pastor Isaito leading that initiative. We've had over 110 people this year since January go through Pathways 101. And so if you're new, you're like, man, you're just talking about a lot of stuff. We're clapping all the time. We just believe that when God moves, we should recognize it and make a big deal about it. Amen? 
So uh, we've been in this series called Rise Up for a few weeks now, walking through the book of Nehemiah, and we're, we're, we're looking at how do we, going through this life in this broken world with all the ups and downs, how do we rise up, not necessarily to be a better you, but how do we rise up to be who God's called us to be. If you've missed a sermon, the best way to catch up is go to YouTube and search BT Church, and you can find our sermons there, subscribe, and get notified when we have new videos. You can also catch up uh, sermons on our app or our website. But, but where we've gone, I would do a quick recap, is we know that the book of Nehemiah is written after the nation of Israel has split into two kingdoms, northern and southern, and those two kingdoms have since been conquered because the people of Israel and Judah, Judah being the southern kingdom, continued to walk away from the Lord. So when we pick up Nehemiah, Persia is in control, and this guy Nehemiah is serving in the court of the king. Well, we know that Nehemiah gets a burden because his homeland, Jerusalem, is in, is in ruins, and he gets this burden. He takes the burden to God because, listen to me, beloved, the first step when you got a burden is to go to God, right? So he goes to the Lord, and then the Lord convicts him to do something about it. So he speaks to the king, and he asks for permission to, to go, and the king lets him go. He's gone for 12 years, rebuilding the walls in the city of Jerusalem. Uh, he gets permission, he gets provision, he gets protection. And then when he gets there, he does something that's very critical. When Nehemiah gets there, he doesn't look around and go, man, things look great. That's the best-looking ruined wall I've ever seen, right? He faces the ruins, and many times in our lives, because of the brokenness of this world, because the sin that we choose, we, we have brokenness, we have ruins. And the beauty is God is willing and able to rebuild, but we have to acknowledge we need him to do so. And so Nehemiah looks and he says, this is not good. That leads him to some opposition where, where he would end up uh, having to choose to fight the right fights. And you know, as I've said before, the problem is some of us fight all the fights, and some of us fight none of them, right? And it's about knowing when to push forward. Uh, he ultimately, the most important one, is he would fight for peace amongst the people and the leadership. And then we saw last week that as the, the, the walls had been rebuilt and they were now going to gather for the public proclamation of God's word, which hadn't happened in decades, the people gather and, and they hear the, the scribe Ezra begin to read and their hearts are filled. They're weeping at first, probably because of the acknowledgement of their sins that got them there. But then they're told to be joyful because this is a holy day and chapter 8 ends with them recognizing the feast or festival of tabernacles slash booths slash shelters. It all means the same thing. And they would, they would have this party that they hadn't observed in quite some time. And so we pick up chapter 9, coming off the heels of chapter 8. And what's happening in chapter 9 is we come across the longest recorded prayer in all of Scripture. We don't know who prays it. Um, there's a Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint. And in the Septuagint, it says that Ezra is, is leading this kind of national prayer of confession. I think that's probably accurate, but we don't know for sure. But someone is leading the people in this prayer, and really what's happening in Nehemiah 9 is a worship service. It doesn't look exactly like our worship services today. For, for one example, it's extremely long, and all of you saying, oh, ours is extremely long. Uh, it just got longer because of that bad attitude. So, um, No, it, I mean, it, it like took all day. And, and what was unique about this worship service is... is it, it involved a, a large amount of, of confession and repentance. The people had been fasting. And so we, we come to this prayer, 1,177 1, words in this prayer. 
We're going to look at every single one today. No, we're not. We're not. It's going to be a little different. I'm not going to even read the whole chapter today. What we're going to do is we're going to look at four truths that we can put in our hearts to know that, that when we have mess, missed the mark, which we do, how we can continue to move forward and the critical role that confession and repentance play in that moving forward. You know, today, one of the things that blocks people in the church from moving forward in faith is simply a lack of confession and repentance. Reminds me of a story of a man who had found himself on his deathbed, and he's there in the hospital, and his wife is by his side, and he grabs her hand, and he says, I have to say something. And, you know, the truth is, I should have said this long ago, and I put it off. I didn't think this day would come this quickly. But I have to confess something to you. And so the wife, you know, holding his hand, grips a little tighter, kind of getting ready for what he's going to say. He said, I, you know, I, I don't even know how to say it, and I'm, but I need you to know, because I don't want to take this with me when I leave here. I need you to know that I haven't been as faithful as I should have been in our marriage. And the wife, looking at her husband, takes a deep breath. She says, I know. And somewhat shocked, maybe even a little relieved, he says, you know? She says, Yes. That's why I poisoned you. Um, <laughs> bad, bad joke. <laughs> However, had he chosen confession earlier, who knows what might have happened, right? <laughs> confession is this powerful tool in our spiritual life that many times we don't bring out. And so we're going to look at parts of chapter 9 today to see how we can understand who we are, understand God's faithfulness, and understand how to best move forward in the faithfulness that he has given us. Hear me today, beloved. Hear me today. A few things I want to say. Um, when we fail to pray, because this is a prayer of confession, when we fail to pray, we, we, we also fail to move past our failures. When, when we fail to pray, we never move past our failures because it is through prayer and confession we acknowledge the fact we've messed up and God graciously moves us forward. And, and so we, we've got to be people committed to prayer and, and prayer of confession because hear me today, here's the good news, failure doesn't have to define you. Failure doesn't have to be the rest of of the story to take from the 90s commercial, right? Remember, I've fallen and I can't get up. Well, good news, according to scripture, we have fallen, but we can get up. We can get up when we align our hearts with God. And so we're gonna jump in. I'm gonna read the first three verses just to set a foundation before we jump a little further into the chapter. But this is Nehemiah chapter nine, starting in verse one. On the 24th day of this month, the Israelites assembled. They were fasting, wearing sackcloth, and had put dust on their heads. Those of, the Israel, those of Israelite descent separated themselves from all foreigners, and they stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their ancestors. While they stood in their places, they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a fourth of the day. So they stood for the reading of the word for a fourth of the day, and they spent 
And they spend another fourth of the day in confession and worship of the Lord their God. So that's what's happening. They've gathered, they've been hearing the word, they're confessing, they're worshiping. And then Ezra or somebody begins to lead this kind of corporate prayer. And we're going to see some elements in the corporate prayer that can serve us as we talk about how we also can move forward and the power of confession in our lives Uh, Leonard Ravenhill is a well-known evangelist who's gone on to be with the Lord. Leonard Ravenhill has this quote. He said that the self-sufficient, the self-sufficient do not pray. He said that the self-satisfied will not pray, and the self-righteous cannot pray. The self-sufficient, those that believe in and of themselves, they've got really everything that they need, they, they don't pray. They think they're good. Those who are self-satisfied, not just needs, but they kind of have all their wants, they won't pray because why would they pray if they feel completely content in and of themselves? And the self-righteous, this is the most powerful part, cannot. Because when we think in our own righteousness, we don't need God, which is what happens when we choose not to pray, by the way. If we think we don't need God, then we cannot pray because that posture is never gonna put us in a posture of prayer and repentance. What we see in Nehemiah 9, however, is a prayer and posture of of humility, of remorse, and of hope. Because the beauty is when we go to God acknowledging our sins, Ephesians chapter 2 verse, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 7 tells us that godly sorrow, right? Godly sorrow leads to repentance. When we go to God with a repentant heart, And humble, the good news is there's always hope because God doesn't leave us there, right? Romans 8.1 tells us there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We've been set free from the law of sin and death according to the law of spirit of life. And so as we look at the text, there are four principles or four words I want to focus on that can help us move from denying our failures to accepting them, walking in confession, and then following God. So here's the first thing I want you to write down. First thing I want you to write down is this. Failure is the problem. Failure is the problem. I'm going to look at chapter 9, verses 15 to the beginning of 17, and then I'm going to jump to verses 26 to 28. When we pick up verse 15, the, the, the one who's leading the prayer is praying about the time of the Exodus when God had led Israel out of Egypt, and they were wandering there. And this is what it says in Nehemiah 9, 15. You provided bread from heaven for their hunger... And you brought them water from the rock for their thirst. You told them to go in and possess the land you had sworn to give them, verse 16. But our ancestors acted arrogantly. They became stiff-necked and did not listen to your commands. They refused to listen and did not remember your wonders you performed among them. They became stiff-necked and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. Jump down to verse 26, so that's dealing with the Exodus. Now we're dealing with kind of the life of Israel following the Exodus. But they, the people, were disobedient and rebelled against you. They flung your law behind their backs and killed your prophets who warned them in in order to turn them back to you. They committed terrible blasphemy, so you handed them over to their enemies who oppressed them. In their time of distress, they cried out to you, and you heard from heaven. In your abundant compassion, you gave them deliverers who rescued them from the power of their enemies. But as soon as they had relief, they again did what was evil in your sight. 
So you abandoned them to the power of their enemies who dominated them. When they cried out to you again, you heard from heaven and rescued them many times in your compassion. What, what, what are these verses saying? That the nation of Israel, kind of historically, they, they would receive the favor and blessing of God. He made, you know, heaven, he, he made bread come from heaven. He had water come out of the rocks. He led them with the pillar of cloud and fire and his provision is all throughout, but yet they would eventually turn away from him. Time and time again, they were stiff necks and they, they pre- preferred their own ways and their own desires. And, and so the point being made here, beloved, is this, failure is the problem. You know, Paul would write to the church at Rome in Romans 3.23 that for all have what? Sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Who has sinned? All have sinned. Listen to me. This is not a super popular statement to make in 2022 as churches want to kind of, you know, desensitize or or, or kind of gloss over these parts of Scripture. But I just want to say this to me. I want to say this to you, and I want you to stay with me because we're going to get to the good news. But if you're uncomfortable when the church talks about the fact that you and I are sinners, you probably shouldn't read the Bible. Because over 620 times the Bible mentions sin, sinfulness, and sinners. And God's never the one doing the sinning, right? We, we, we cannot move forward. This is, this is the second week of this series. Nehemiah could not lead the construction of the rebuilding of the walls until he acknowledged they need to be rebuilt. We cannot walk in newness of life in Christ Jesus until we acknowledge we need newness of life. That our best efforts, our best intentions, our best days and our best hopes without Jesus never add up. Failure is the problem. We, we do not become sinners, we are sinners. From birth, th- this is the harsh side of the Bible, at birth we are objects or children of the wrath of God. You're like, Chris, this is not getting encouraging. Stay with me. I thought God was loving. If you truly love something, then the things that cause that object of love pain, you would have wrath towards it. Sin causes that separation, so therefore God hates the sin and his wrath would be poured out on those that are in the act of sinning. However, he has made a way for us to move from children of wrath to children of love because he gave his son Jesus to die on the cross. But to acknowledge that, we've got to say we messed up. We live in a time where more and more people believe as long as you have some type of spiritual belief, you're good. There is no hell. That would be terrible. You can believe in the God of the Bible and go to heaven. You could kind of believe in some, some Eastern thought process. And maybe if you have a good life, you'll be, you'll, you'll become, you know, you'll reach Nirvana, not the grunge band, but like this state of existence. I'm from the nineties. I got to clarify that. Right. And, And so, you know, you reach this kind of state of existence or maybe you'll get reincarnated, but it doesn't really matter because it would be terrible to say that there's a possibility that people would be separated from the goodness of God. And and after all, the reason why that's not even believable is we're all pretty good people. But the Bible tells us that we were conceived with sinfulness. Here's Here's the reality. You and I, we're really good at sinning. Like it's, just, it's just part of our nature. That's why we got to get a new nature by grace through faith in Jesus. Reminds of the story you've probably heard Scorpion sitting on the banks of a river and he's got to get across. But I don't know if you know this, scorpions are not the best swimmers, right? And so this turtle is coming by and the turtle's going to cross the river because turtles 
can swim. And the scorpion says, hey, turtle, man, I can't swim. Would you let me get on your back and, and get across the river? And the turtle says, listen, I was born at night, but not last night. No. Well, I'm going to get halfway across the river. You're going to like sting me. And then I'm going to like lose muscular control and I'm going to drown. No. And the scorpion says, well, how much sense would that make? Think about it. If I sting you and you drowned, I drowned. The turtle says, well, you know, you, you have made a valid point. Hop on. The scorpion gets on the turtle's back, heading across the river. They get about middle of the river. Scorpion's tail rears back. Right there on the neck, you know, just right past the shell. Boom, stings the turtle. Turtle starts, turtle starts to have, you know, muscular convulsions. The venom is setting in. He knows that he's eventually going to go underwater. So he turns his neck and he says, can I ask you a question? The scorpion said, sure, why not? He said, I thought it wouldn't make any sense for you to sting me because we would both die in the process. The scorpion says, Mr. Turtle, logic has nothing to do with it. It's just who I am. Beloved, we have to acknowledge the fact that without Jesus, it is just who we are. Without new hearts, without becoming new creations, the failure of sin wreaks havoc in our lives, and it's just who we are. But there's good news that God would make a way for us. And listen to me, in a world that wants to reject sin and original sin and the fall of humanity because it sounds hard to believe, let, let, me just, let me just say a couple things about that. Understanding that without Jesus I'm hopeless because I am a sinner at my core. Yes, brokenness in the world is disheartening. Brokenness and sin, it, it, it's, it's a heavy reality. But here's the truth, belief in sin and its existence and what it has done, it makes understanding the world easier. Think about it, if at the core of our belief we believe in what's called the depravity of humanity, meaning that we are not good people actually, that we are children of darkness, that we love the darkness without the love of God applied to our lives. When you think about that and you look at all the mess of the world, it starts to make sense. It starts to make sense that people who left to themselves love darkness, well, then darkness prevails in the world. If you don't believe in that, how in the world do you make sense of the suffering and the pain that exists today? Acknowledging this doesn't mean that it's easier to accept the fact that sometimes people get horrific diseases like cancer and it ravages their body, or, or, or people keep physical health and lose mental health through dementia and Alzheimer's, or that marriages end in divorce, or that children end up in foster care. It doesn't make that something that we gloss over, but we understand that all of that actually is a reality because sin has entered this world and it has had its reign for the time being. And so we start off looking at the text and in this prayer of confession, though the one leading the prayer says, listen, God, you were faithful, you were faithful, you were faithful, but we, we just continue to mess it up. And beloved, if you want to move forward, you want to rise up and have God reign in your life and you want to fulfill his purposes in your life, we have to acknowledge that we actually do indeed need him we need him to be who only he can be. 
Secondly, write this down. While failure is the problem, forgiveness is the provision. Forgiveness is the provision. Verse 17, again, it says, They refused to listen and did not remember your wonders you performed among them. They became stiff-necked and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. And this is gold right here. But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate. They were terrible. They forgot how awesome you were, but you are a forgiving God. I want you to say that with me. But you are a, I don't believe you yet one more time, but you are a forgiving God. What do we do? We mess up. We choose sin. We choose selfishness. We choose pride. But if your heart is sealed in Christ, it is always this response, But you are a forgiving God, but you are slow to anger, but you are compassionate, but you are gracious, but you are faithful. Throughout the history of the nation of Israel, they forgot who God was, but he never forgot them. Forgiveness is our provision in the midst of our problem. What happens whenever you say yes to Jesus? And if you haven't done that, I pray you will today. When we say yes to Jesus, we bring all of our failures and our failure is forced to go toe to toe with the forgiveness of God. I said earlier that we are really good at sinning, right? But Jesus is way better at saving. And when our failures have to go toe to toe with Jesus' forgiveness, guess who wins every time? Jesus, cross and empty tomb, right? Both are empty, by the way. The cross is empty because he went to the tomb, and the tomb is empty because he walked out of it. That always wins. We take our failures, our sins, our missteps and mistakes, and we take it to Jesus, and we are given the provision of his forgiveness. God has always been and will always be bigger than your failures and my failures. And let me just say this also. You say, well, Chris, you don't know what I've done. It's true. But, but, but God, God has never observed you and I sinning and gone, whoa, I did not see that one coming. You know, I'm going to pick on Omar for a second. Oh, I, man, Omar, he pulled a quick one on me with that one. Now, that is a new, I got to write that in the sin journal so I can look for that in somebody else's life. We have never sinned and God was shocked by it. Hear me, that doesn't mean he takes it lightly. God, God wasn't shocked by the fall of humanity. That's why he had redemption already planned. Satan, Satan was defeated from the beginning. And so the fact that God is not shocked by our sinfulness doesn't mean he takes it lightly or that we should. It means that he is ready to extend the gift of forgiveness. And the Bible supports this, by the way. If you go to the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, and I know those those first few books, they can get kind of hard, but Deuteronomy is a powerful book, right? How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, but you've told yourself, I'm reading the Bible this year, I'm going cover to cover, and you got to Leviticus, and you're like, well, It was a good try. I get it, right? Now, Leviticus is a powerful book. But if you struggled with Leviticus, read Deuteronomy. This is why. Leviticus, it's 630 laws. That's what it is, right? Deuteronomy. Ready? We're going to learn something today. Deuteronomy comes from two words, deuteronomos, which means law again. Okay? Deuteronomy is Leviticus, but it's in more of a story format. So, like, you know, it's, it's like... 
my kids don't like to eat their vegetables, so we have these little gummies that have vegetables in them, and we give them those. Like, oh, they don't realize they're eating, like, you know, kale and beets and all this other random stuff. So you struggle with Leviticus, just go to Deuteronomy. Powerful book. Anyways, when you get towards the end of Deuteronomy, we find this part of Scripture where God says to the people, if you will keep my commands, by the way, if means it's a conditional statement, meaning probably ain't going to happen, right? If you will keep my commands, and then there's verse after verse of blessing. You keep my commands, blessing, 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 blessing. However, if you do not keep my commands, there is a chapter and a half of curses. Aren't you glad you came today? <laughs> Cursing overall. No, chapter and a half. And you could read that, and if you don't get to the end, you could be like, God is more about the bad than the good. But when you get to the end, I think it's Deuteronomy 29, you get to the end, right? If you keep my commands, good stuff, good stuff, blessing, blessing. If you don't keep my command, curses and bad stuff. If you stick with it, at the end, God says, but when you wake up, I will bring you back. He doesn't end it with bad stuff. He says, when you, he doesn't say you'll come back. He says, I'll bring you back. We, we, we can't even get back on our own. He brings us back in his faithfulness. Forgiveness of God is the provision in our lives. It's, it's who he is, Ephesians 2, 4. But God being rich in mercy, why? Because of his great love for us. And so he gives us through forgiveness, grace and mercy, mercy and grace. And we gotta understand those are not the same thing. Mercy is when God doesn't give us what we deserve, right? Mercy is when we don't get that which we deserve. And so mercy, I'm going to switch sides of the room. I got I to spread it out. Mercy is when Lisa is speeding and is pulled over by the state trooper, right? And he walks out and she's going 20 over the speed limit. And he says, ma'am, do you know why I pulled you over? And then she proves she's a sinner. No, sir, I sure don't. All, you're like, I don't know if I agree with you that I'm a sinner. Boom, you, now you know you are. Everybody gets pulled over. You know why I pulled you over? Nope, no clue. Maybe I was going 100, but no, sir, I don't. Well, I pulled you over because you were going 20 miles over the speed limit. Oh, I'm so sorry. And he says, well, I'm going to write you the most blessed words you'll ever hear from a state trooper, a warning, right? And you turn up the message on Sirius XM and Mercy has been extended because Lisa did not receive that which she deserved. God, in his mercy, doesn't give us what we deserve. That's amazing, but he goes past that and he extends grace, which is receiving that which we don't deserve, right? It's not just not getting what we do deserve, it's getting what we don't deserve. So back in the story with Lisa, she says, well, I'm sorry, you know, I'm speeding because I'm trying to get to this wedding and I'm running really late. And so then the state trooper hands her her warning and says, ma'am, I understand we've all been there. This is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna pull out in front of you, turn my lights on, and I'm gonna put my accelerator to the floorboard and you just follow me, right? She, she didn't get what she deserved, a speeding ticket. And then she got grace. She got to speed the whole way to the wedding she was running late to. God, in his provision of forgiveness, extends mercy and forgiveness. And let me just say this. I think sometimes people wrestle with this. God never runs out of mercy, beloved. He, we say, well, okay, but I know you, you kind of mentioned this, Chris, but you believe that the Bible teaches there's a literal hell. So if people die and they haven't said yes to Jesus and they go to hell, that, no, no, God doesn't run out of mercy. We run out of time. In his justice, God will deal with sin. 
And, and listen, I wish, it, I, I wish it wasn't true. Like, I, I know there are preachers on TV, and they never talk about sin and hell, and I wish I could do that, but I can't. It's not loving. The fact that people who never receive the gift of Jesus by acknowledging that need, the fact that people do indeed go to a sinner's hell does not mean that God's mercy runs out. It means their time has. His mercy has no end. Third reality, right? Failure is the problem, but there's an answer, right? Good news, forgiveness is provision, number three, and faithfulness is the promise. That when God forgives us, it's not our faithfulness, it's his faithfulness that keeps us. The provision of forgiveness is great, but what makes it amazing is that God keeps it that way. Going back to the text, verse 18, it says this in the prayer. Even after they had cast an image of a calf for themselves and said, this is your God who brought you out of Egypt and they committed terrible blasphemies, you did not abandon them in the wilderness, even though you stayed faithful, it says. Because of your great compassion, during the day, the pillar of cloud never turned away from them, guiding them on their journey. And during the night, the pillar of fire illuminated the way they should go. You sent your good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold your manna from their mouths, and you gave them water for their thirst. You provided for them in the wilderness 40 years, and they lacked nothing. Their clothes didn't wear out, and their feet did not Swell. Jump over to verse 30 where it says this. Speaking later on in the history of Israel, you were patient with them for many years and your spirit warned them through your prophets, but they would not listen. Therefore, you handed them over to the surrounding peoples. However, in your abundant compassion, you did not destroy them or abandon them for you are a gracious and compassionate God. We have to acknowledge that failure is a problem. We are sinners, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Paul would write also the church at Rome that the payment or wages of sin is death. We have to acknowledge, right, that there is none righteous apart from God. No, not one. We, we need the work of Jesus applied to our lives. But hear me, God does not want you then to receive this gift and become some type of defeated person walking around talking about how terrible. Humility is not loving is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less, right? Children of God should, ha- should, should have a secure identity, right? Children of God shouldn't have confidence issues because when I acknowledge I've got a problem that I can't fix, but I've got provision in the forgiveness of God, and if I wonder if that'll ever run out, I've got the promise of his faithfulness. Throughout this prayer, Ezra, whoever is leading the prayer is saying, God, you provided this and you provided that, but then people, they went their own ways, they were stiff necked but you are a forgiving God, but then they still did this, they made a calf and they worshiped that, saying that that was God, but then you didn't abandon them, forgiveness and faithfulness throughout the prayer. What am I getting at? Check this out, beloved. God never stops pursuing us. Now, I believe that it is a most likely reality that someone in this room or online has not yet given their life to Christ. And so I want to put, some, put this in parentheses. I'm speaking to those that have received the gift of life. Some traditions would teach that if someone leaves this earth and they haven't placed their faith in Jesus, it's not too late. A church might teach it, but the Bible doesn't. But when you have given your life to Christ and you are sealed by the Holy Spirit... He never stops pursuing. 
we sometimes turn our back on him. We go back to sinful patterns that we lived before we accepted him. We go back to pride. We live for our flesh. We, we engage those things. We, we don't seek unity in the body. We, we do all these things, but he never stops pursuing us. They made the golden calf. He did not abandon them. God never stops pursuing us. It, you know, this is illustrated in the Old Testament, by the way, if you read the, the book of Hosea. God would call Hosea to take a wife who was a prostitute. And if you think of the, the scourge that is the sex slave trade today, that's similar. He, he would have to buy his wife out of prostitution. He would have to use his resources to purchase her freedom. He would take her as a wife. They would have children. But if you read the story, she goes back. And he's got to buy her again. And so we don't need to lose this kind of language. Beloved, if you have received the gift of Jesus, don't forget how much you needed that to happen. And you didn't do kind of part of the work. Sometimes we get in church so long and we look at the really bad sinners, right? We look at those on this side of the room. Like, those people really messed up. And, and we think, man, it's a good thing there's Jesus because we all needed the same amount of the blood of Jesus. And, and, and understand that we have to use that phrase. We are purchased by his blood. Like the prostitute in Hosea, we have been purchased because if he didn't purchase us, we'd have stayed in the brothel. No one seeks God, but when God draws them to himself, when he seeks us out, it is the promise of faithfulness. And when he secures us by grace through faith, he keeps us. God's love is like no other. It is not based on the object, right? Hear me, I want to make sense of this. God's love is not based on you. It is who he is. God loves me when I don't love him. God loves me when I walk away from him. God loves me when I don't think of him. Not because he thinks maybe I'll come back and be good. He loves me because it's simply who he is. And understanding that doesn't make me say, well, then I'm just going to do whatever I want, right? No, it's his kindness that leads me to repentance. When I understand God doesn't love me out of performance, at least not mine, he loves me out of the performance of Jesus applied to my life. And so when I understand that, it affects the way I'm gonna love myself and the way I'm gonna love other people. The faithfulness of God is the promise of God applied to my life. He does not, the Bible says he desires no one would perish. Ezekiel 33, 11 says he does not take pleasure in the, in the destruction of the wicked, but he, he takes pleasure in their, restoration and repentance. He wants his faithfulness to be applied to everyone's life. And I know sometimes we say, well, you know, Chris, I've given my life to Jesus. I've got friends, they gave their life to Jesus. And, and it doesn't always feel or seem like his love is just raining down on me. Well, let me just make a few statements. First off, we still live in a broken world. All right, and, and in his sovereignty, and you're like, well, I don't like it. Well, you're not God, okay? So, I mean, you can debate it when you get there. But, but in his sovereignty, he has allowed for a time for brokenness to reign in this world. So unfortunately, remember, humanity brought it into the world, right? We listened to the serpent in the garden. We brought in brokenness. And so for now, there's disease and there's heartache and there are orphans and widows and widowers and, and there's hunger and all these terrible things. Their existence, though, does not negate the unending love of God because he's allowing it for a time. 
Revelation 20 makes it clear that one day he will wipe away all the tears. Sin, death, and sorrow and sickness will be no more because he will officially have made all things new. So all of that stuff has an expiration date. So part of it, when we look around the world or look at our lives and we feel like God's love isn't just overwhelming us, his love has not yet resulted in the removal of all brokenness. It will, though. However, sometimes we feel that we don't have his love reigning all over us, and here's the reality. It's because we have made decisions that have removed, and hasn't removed his love, removed us from receiving it. Illustration, you cannot stop the sun from shining, right? We live in the valley. If we could figure it out, we would figure it out, right? A couple weeks ago, my wife and I took our kids to South Padre Island for a beach day, celebrate some fun as a family. It was her birthday. And so like any good parents, we got to the beach and we said, kids, go run out there in the water and play in the waves and jump in the sand. And then we set up a 10 by 10 canopy to sit under, right? Because it's hot outside. And so we sat on the canopy and said, don't go that far right now. We, we engaged with our children. But we set up a shade, right? Like everyone else on the beach with good sense. You got an umbrella or a shelter. But guess what? A 10 by 10 canopy did not stop the shining of the sun. It just got me out of the sunlight. And there are people in the church and they're walking away from the church and maybe they're walking away from faith and maybe they were never sealed in Christ, I don't know. But there are people that are claiming allegiance to Jesus and they're kind of grumbling like, well, if God is so loving, Chris, you're talking about his love. Well, why is my life such a wreck? Well, one, the world is indeed still broken. And two, you may have just gotten under the umbrella of your sinfulness. As culture moves further away from scripture, we can't move with it. You're like, oh, now you're going back to all that outdated stuff. Let me guess, we're living together and and that's not what the Bible says. Listen, it's not condemnation. God has a life for you of joy and purpose and promise. He just has a recipe. So when the world says, it's no big deal, just cohabitate, it's not the church throwing stones. Hear me, we're not throwing stones. We're saying there's better. God made a covenant of marriage. We make a mockery of it. But in his faithfulness, he says, listen, okay, you've done this, but, if you'll, but, but I'll, I'll come back and I'll bring you into the sunlight. And I celebrate, we've had people in our church year after year say, man, I've been living together with this person, but we wanna get married. And it's not about some ceremony and ritual. It's about saying all of me, all of you. All of me all of you. And when we take those steps, the faithfulness of God reigns in our life. Beloved, do not believe for a second that the love of God, if you have received Christ Jesus, does not shine over your life. Feelings aren't facts for one. And if you feel that he has forgotten you, remember we live in a broken world, but evaluate if you have not removed yourself from his sunlight. How do I stay in it, man? You choose prayer, right? You choose getting in the word of God. You choose the community of saints. You leave here. You find another opportunity, community group. You find some way to do life with believers. You take steps of generosity, right? Faithfulness is the promise. God has an unending, unconditional love. And then we wrap it all up. Failure is the problem. We, We are sinful at our core, we, we need help. 
Forgiveness is the provision. The people of Israel, though they walked away, but you are a forgiving God. When we receive forgiveness, faithfulness is the promise. He will never leave us or forsake us. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. And because of that, number four, write this down. Following is the priority. Following is the priority. Jumping to the end of the chapter, verses 36 to 38 say this. This whole prayer has been offered. In 36, here we are today, slaves in the land you gave our ancestors so that they could enjoy its fruit and its goodness. Here we are slaves in it. Its abundant harvest goes to the kings you have set over us because of our sins. They rule over our bodies and our livestock as they please. We are in great distress like they are setting up the stage right you know we are here yes it's our sin they're setting up the stage for verse 38 to be God you know poor us and woe is me but verse 38 says in view of all this that's a therefore right anytime you read the bible and you see the word therefore you ask yourself what's it therefore that's for free in view of in view of what in view of this whole prayer they've offered longest prayer in scripture in view of all this not we're poor, me, we can't move forward. We are making a binding agreement in writing on a sealed document containing the names of our leaders, Levites, and priests. What does that mean? They have acknowledged their sinfulness. They have acknowledged how they have walked away. They have acknowledged God's unending forgiveness and his faithfulness. And then in view of all of this, they said, we are gonna choose to follow you. We're not going to settle to go our own way. Listen, unfortunately, you get to chapter 13 next week. They do. They do feel, right? We, we are going to mess up again. Until we get home to heaven, we're going to probably mess up again. But in this moment, they're saying, in view of all of this, by the way, just putting the Bible together, this is the same thing that happens in Romans chapter 12. The book of Romans, Paul wrote a letter to the church at Rome. He did not include chapter and verse because nobody writes that way, right? And you read chapters 1 through 11, and in essence, all of 1 through 11 are about, 1 through 11 are about this. We got a problem. God's got a solution. That, that's really Romans 1 through 11. We got a problem. God's got a solution. And then you get to chapter 12, and Paul writes these words. Therefore... In view of God's mercy, because you got a problem and God's got a solution, in view of God's mercy, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to, to not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Translation, follow him. In view of the fact you had a problem you couldn't fix, and he fixed it for you. In view of the fact that his goodness has washed over you and it will keep you, in view of that, follow him. But listen to me, this is where the good news gets even better. Because in Nehemiah 9, the Israelites would say, in view of all this, they say, we made, now that's great, we made a binding agreement. And we wrote the names of our leaders. You know, the, the answer for us today, those in the room and online, the answer is not necessarily, listen, we, we need to be faithful and we need to be obedient. But the answer, the ultimate answer actually isn't the fact that we make some kind of agreement. It's that Jesus did. Jesus is our binding agreement. 
Jesus wrote our names in his book of life. Jesus paid the agreement price with his blood and his body. The good news gets better because, yes, an agreement had to be made between sinful people and a holy God. A price had to be paid. Yes, this reality of Nehemiah 9, 36 to 38 is applied to our lives, but we're not the ones making the agreement. Jesus did. We're not the ones writing names. Jesus did. We're not the ones paying the price. Jesus did. So that today, as we go through life and we, we acknowledge that we've missed the mark, we walk in the forgiveness and the faithfulness of God. And as we do so, we choose to follow him with all our hearts, all of me, all of you. And today, some of us, our next step is going to be the next step of surrender. The next step of surrender. Bible's clear. Do not be fooled. God will not be mocked. And I believe that in our churches today, we, listen, I think we have a lot of people in our churches today that are good at remorse. And that's a good thing. But we're good at remorse and we're bad at repentance. Remorse is a feeling. It's important. Repentance is an action. I'm just going to say this, I'm preaching a little bit. There are some of you, and you come here often, and you're, you, 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 you've received Jesus. You've got that new life, but you're walking in sinful patterns. You're not giving him your full yes in some area of life, and you can't figure out why you're not getting any traction. You feel bad about it, but you have not changed anything. I don't say that out of condemnation. I say that for the hope of redemption and restoration. He wants to restore all things. God is not unwilling. He is not unwilling to move you forward. He is not unwilling to issue the full forgiveness. The question is, are we unwilling to confess the need for it? And there may be someone, and, and it's a couple, and you're not married, and you need to get married. I'm like, well, I'm just not sure. You've been together 20 years, you're not sure? Come on. There are some of you, and I'm so thankful you're here, but you, you have to commit, commit to corporate worship and the importance of the body of Christ applied to your life. Some of you need to leave here and talk as a family about what is that next step. Getting your kids plugged into our kids' ministry. Kids' week this week, great week. Getting teenagers to our student ministry, finding a community group, joining our dream team, maybe taking the next step of membership at our Blitz, but it's giving more of yourself to him. Maybe you said yes to Jesus, and for whatever reason, you have not yet been baptized. We've got a baptism in a few moments. You can join. we got shirts and towels and T-shirts, shorts, everything. We just need you. And if you're in this room, in just a moment, we're going to have a time of worship, and we're going to sing about the goodness of God. Listen to me. Don't misunderstand this. This is not condemnation, because despite the fact that we tend to turn our back on him, he never does to us. His goodness is chasing after us all the time and if you're in this room in a few moments you can come forward to this altar and you, you can come to a prayer minister and, and receive prayer and there's no magic in the front of a church there's just power in active obedience there's power in saying I'm not going to stand here and let the spirit just kind of work on me but not move because I don't you know, I don't want people to think that I, I'm not doing well so you come forward and you, you you release those things to the Lord. You give him your full surrender. You receive that prayer. Maybe you just feel beaten down by life and you need some encouragement. But ultimately, it's about this rhythm. We recognize our need. No matter where you are on the spiritual spectrum, we recognize our need. We repent of the fact that we're going the wrong way. And then we turn and we walk 
And when you're walking with Jesus and things get hard, you just remember what he's done to get you where you are. Recognize, repent, and remember. And it might be that today your recognition and repentance and remembrance is again receiving prayer. If you're online, send us a message of how we can pray for you. But I believe today that there's someone maybe in this room or maybe online, just like there was at 9 a.m. And what you need in the next step, it's a first step. I believe there are some of us most likely in this room and maybe you've been here before, you've been in other churches and you've been around people that have the gift of the Holy Spirit because they've been sealed in Christ and they start, we start singing our songs and worship and you see people raise their hands and you get kind of excited about it and you hear people say amen and you get kind of excited about it and we clap about what God is doing and you get kind of excited about it. But what's happening, listen to me, for some of you, what's happening is you are living off of somebody else's Jesus. It's going to a five-star steakhouse and watching someone else eat it. Ooh, it looks good. But you leave just as hungry as you walked in. And, and I say this with, with every ounce of love I can muster. The reason why it's so important and why I, I'm so serious about this is because if that's you, you know you're going to go home. And someone else's Jesus you experienced today at church is going to wear off. And you will go to bed with that gnawing feeling that something is missing. Yeah, I'll close with a story before I lead us in time of prayer. The guy got real behind on his taxes. Year after year, and it started to get to him, the guilt was compounding. He couldn't sleep at night because he knew, he knew his responsibility. So finally one night he's unable to sleep and he just says, I'm gonna do something about this. And so he, he gets a bunch of money and he puts it in an envelope and he writes a letter to the IRS, includes all his information. The IRS receives the envelope, open up, there's all this cash in it. See the guy's name, they look him up. They look up his, his tax status and they look at the money and while he sent a lot of money, it actually wasn't all of it. So then they read the, then they hadn't read the note yet. So the IRS officer reads the note and he introduces himself and he says, I'm so sorry. I've for years avoided paying my taxes and I haven't been able to sleep at night. And so I'm sending you this money, hoping I can sleep. And if I can't, I'll mail the rest. Listen to me. Listen to me. I hope you're encouraged by being at BT. But if God doesn't get all of you, you'll never have peace. And as I've said already, the beautiful thing is it's not you that pays the debt, it's him. And it's not even his debt to be paid. So today, if you're in this room or you're watching online and you don't know where you stand before holy God, meaning you don't know if you've given your life to Jesus, BT, we, we stand on the simple words of scripture, Romans 10, 9, if anyone would believe in their heart, confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, they would be saved today, despite your religious experience, if you don't know if you've made that decision, I'm going to give you the opportunity to respond. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. Today, if you want to make the decision to trust Christ, I'm going to invite you to say a prayer with me. The prayer is not a magic formula. Please understand that. Don't, don't think that reciting some words the pastor says is the answer. It's not about a magic formula. It's about believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and God raised him from the dead. And so that's what this is. This prayer is a confession of salvation. 
And so whether you're in this room or you're online, if you wanna make that decision, receive the free gift of God, I invite you to say this prayer with me right where you are. It goes just like this. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm far from you. And I know that I need you. I believe you made a way for me to be made whole. I believe you sent your son Jesus to leave heaven and come to earth. And I believe he died on the cross and paid for my sin. I also believe that three days later by the power of the Holy Spirit, he rose from the dead in victory. And so Jesus, today I'm trusting you with my life and I'm asking you to save me. Thank you for loving me first. It's in your name that I pray.